I'm also no one so fantastic. So we have been talking the last um, few months about Jesus. We've been going through and, and, and understanding Jesus and, and looking at who he is throughout the Bible, what it is that he did, what he, what he came to do and who he was. And I was preparing a ser- this sermon and, and I was reading a book from, I forget who the author was, but something challenged me. This guy was writing about the covenant of Jesus and he spoke so openly about this covenant, but I, it, it occurred to me that we very re- rarely understand what a covenant is. In our society today, we don't make open covenants like they do, like they did in, in Jewish times in, in the Bible. And when you flip through the Bible, there's no real, it's there, but it's very hidden as to what a covenant was. And the reason that they, that, that happened was in the Jewish um, culture, they didn't have to explain what it was because they all knew what it was. But now we come to a, a contemporary Western culture where we don't understand it, what it is, but then we make covenant with Jesus. And I think so often we, we miss what it is that we're actually doing and what that means for us. And I think there's such a power in understanding what the covenant is that we actually make and what we can then draw on for the rest of our lives. So I want to take the time. It's, it's quite a complex um, thing, and I, and I only want to take a very small portion and, and break down the understanding of the covenant but I, I want to do it as simply as I can so that we don't miss it. Because it, it, this can be a, a number of preachers that explain the blood of Christ and, and how it all works. But I just want to spend this morning breaking down the power of, of the covenant that we, that most of us in this room have made. And if you haven't made that, then I want to express the importance of having a covenant with Christ and how important that is for your life. Is that okay? Fantastic. Okay, so, so most of us will have at least heard of the Bible, if not have opened it from time to time. In the Bible, there is two, a, a very clear distinction of split in the Bible. There's a, an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. All of us have at least seen that, heard of it at some point. The, the, the difference in, in those, those testaments are the different covenants that are made. An Old Covenant and a New Covenant. Now, the, the Old Covenant that was made was fulfilled through Christ, and we are now in the new covenant. So we we understand and we learn from the old covenant, but we live in the new covenant. So you can't get your Bible and take the Old Testament and toss it out. You can't do that. That's not how it works. Because from that place, we learn and grow. God shows and reveals who Christ is, was and is to be throughout the beginning of the story. The, our, the, the gospel that we understand starts at the very beginning, which was the creation. And we see that in the Bible, it explains the fact that Christ was there in the beginning. But that story starts right back at the beginning. Some, some people will argue that the story starts when, when man fell, but, but our Bible explains the very beginning. So it has to start at the beginning. So we, we, we see the start of, of the gospel in Genesis where Adam and Eve are created and, and they're in the garden and it's beautiful and it moves all the way through to Revelation where at the very end where we see that Christ is going to come back and, and, and take his people. That old covenant that we see that we understand is, is made up on, on the laws that were, were given at Mount Sinai with Moses. He goes up and he gets the Ten Commandments, of which then the Israelites added hundreds of laws to that. But that old covenant that was made was made early, early on in Genesis with Abram, who became Abraham. So we're going to go there quickly and I want to, I want to spend a little bit of time just explaining the old covenant and what it meant. And then I want to explain the new covenant. So go with me to Genesis 15. Okay, so I want to read through this 
I'm not going to explain everything in it. If you want to go back and, and reread it, you can. But I want to just, I want to just highlight the fact that, that God makes a covenant with, with Abram. And I'm being told that I need to read the verses slowly. But the point is at the end, but we'll get there. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Elysia of Damascus. God says to Abram that he's going to get a great reward, and he says, but what else are you going to give me? Fantastic. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will, will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, Shall your offspring be? So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from your Chaldeans to this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He brought him all these and cut them in half and laid each half against the other but he did not cut the birds in half. I'm going to explain that in a minute, so don't stress. And when birds of prey came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. Okay, so what we see in this verse is that, is that Abram, who becomes Abraham, says to God, God says to him, look at the stars, I'm going to give you the nations. I'm going to give you the, the people that come through you. Your sons will be as great as the stars. Abram then says to God, how can you show that to me? In that moment, God cuts covenant with Abraham. So God says, Abraham, I'm going to give you this. It's my covenant. I promise to you that you will get these things. Now, as I'm going to explain later, a covenant is made unto death. So the only exit from a covenant is that of death. So you cannot just have a covenant made and then go, tomorrow, actually, no, I don't want this. I'm out. So Abraham was now in a covenant with God that would bring the nations that, that would start the line all the way down to Jesus. So the thing that we, we have to understand in, in, in what's happening here is that the covenant was cut with death and there was no exit for him. So now the law came through that. So when Jesus comes, the reason Jesus had to come and die was that he had to fulfill the covenant that God made with Abraham in the beginning. Do we understand? Awesome. The reason that we need to understand this is that sometimes the, the way religion or, or faith is, is portrayed is that God shouldn't have had to die, but God had to, Jesus had to come and come as man and, and die in order to fulfill what Abraham had done with God, had made with God. Okay, so that's a very quick wrap-up of the Old Covenant. With that came the law, the do's and the don'ts that we see today. I'm not going to go into that. We will, but not at the moment. I want to, I want to explain why, why Christ is here, why Christ came the way he came. Okay, so 
to understand what a covenant is, I looked through the Bible to find like maybe like a, um, a step-by-step understanding of the covenant, but it wasn't there. And I was reading a, an old theologian, old Jewish theologian, who was writing that the reason that the Bible doesn't describe the, the covenant is because the, the Jewish people walked in that. From birth, they understood that if, if my dad had made a covenant, then I get whatever was in that covenant. So it was scattered throughout the Bible because it was understood in the Jewish culture. We don't understand it here. This Jewish theologian had taken the time to go back and rewrite a step-to-step. So I want to explain the nine steps in a, in a blood, cover, blood covenant. I promise it's, this is not going to be a throwaway. It's going to make sense at the end. Just bear with me. The first step, step number one, in a, in a blood covenant is that a person, say Sean and I, are going to make a blood covenant. I take off my robe and the clothes that I have and I give them to Sean. That's the, the very, very first step. The reason that the, that the robes come off and I'm given to Sean is because I'm saying to Sean, I'm giving you all that I am. So everything that I have on me, the clothes on my back, all that I am, I'm going to give to you. So I would give. So the very first step is that they give and he would give me his clothes. So we, we exchange all that we are to one another. The second step is that we would take off our belts. And the belts were made not to hold pants up, but to hold your weapons, your armor and your weapons, and hold them tight on your body. And the reason that you would give up your, your belt and your weapons is that it was a, a symbol of saying to Shan, I will protect you no matter who you are fighting. So as I give my belt over, my weapon, has everyone seen um, the, the Lord of the Rings where they're talking and they all give their weapons? I'll give my bow. No? Okay. It's all right. It's all right. I thought maybe one of you geese was going to at least give me a, uh, a yell. Okay, no, but you would give you would give a weapon because the weapon is saying, "I will give you my my skills in fighting, my my ability to defend you. I will give all that I am in that." So the first two steps, you give over your robe, you give over your weapons, and you say, "Whatever happens, I'm going to defend you." We can see both of those things happen in one Samuel um, eighteen verses one to four, where um, David and jo- Jonathan make a covenant, and the first thing that they do when they make that covenant together is they strip each, they strip clothes and they give each other their belts. So the first two steps, you can have all that I am and I'll protect you no matter who you're fighting, regardless of whether they're going to beat you or not. The third step in the covenant is that you cut the covenant. Uh, if there's any kids, it gets a little bit rowdy here, but this is what it's talking about in, um, in Genesis where they would take the animal sacrifice. The animal sacrifice would be cut down the, down the middle into two halves. So one would get two legs and half the head, the other would get two legs and half the head. And, and both of the animals would be set on both sides and they would do a figure eight around them and then face each other. And the reason that they would do this is because once they had done this, the crows and the birds would come to eat the side of the flesh. And they were saying to one another in that moment, if you break this covenant, God's going to strike you in half and the birds are going to eat your flesh. So the very reason that God says to Abraham, go and get the animals and bring them in, is that he's saying, if either of us break this covenant, we will both be dead. Now, when you, when you made a covenant like this, the, the importance of that covenant was, Sean, I will come into battle with you no matter because I've now made covenant with you. So because of how serious it was, it didn't matter who he was fighting, I had to go and help because now we were... We were one. We were, we were coveted together. 
The fourth step would be that they would raise their right arm and they would mix blood together. So both parties would raise their right arm, they would cut a, a hole in their hand and they would put their hands together. As kids, anyone ever do the, the, the blood friends promise? And then mum would come over and it's finished. There was no finished in this one. So that whole thing as a kid that you would do came from this very ritual. It came from the fact that you would slice your hand, you would join right hands together, and then you would be coveted together. In the, in the scientific realm, well, they see the mixing of blood as becoming of one. That if your bloods can mix, that there's a, there's a, a oneness in that. Okay, so, so the, the, the covenant would then be cut. Sorry, that's the final thing in that point. That one, the, the Jewish understood that when the, when the blood was cut with the covenant, the natures were joined. So when, when we cut covenant together, when our palms were cut and our hands were linked together, we were joining natures. So if Sham was cranky, I picked up the, the anger. He would pick up the, the peace. I would pick up his, his downfalls. He would pick up mine. But we'd also pick up the strengths in one another. So it was understood that if I cut covenant with this person, I need to know who they are. Because I'm going to be, in essence, a part of them and they are part of me. So you wouldn't just go around and cut covenant with anybody because you were picking up all that they had, their, their, their pluses and their minuses. Um, which you can see in Isaiah 6.28 um, where they cut their palms and, and joined together. Step five was the exchanging of names. The two parties, while they had their hands together with cut, while they were cutting the covenant, they would exchange names. I would take on Sean's name, Sean would take on my name. And the people who knew us knew then that if I said I was with Sean, they knew who he was. And he could say the vice with me. We were the, your name was shared. So that wherever you went, if, you, if I went to a city that I'd never been in where Sean lived and I carried his name, then I carried the respect and the power that he had in that city. If he was wealthy in that city, I would carry the wealth of his name. Very similar to all of these things. I didn't want to go into it, but all of these things match with what we do in a marriage ceremony, even to this day. Because the covenant of marriage is, was supposed to, the Bible says, reflect the covenant that we cut with Christ. So as we take the name, if any any Anything that, that my wife does now, she carries my name and I carry her name. So when we, when we pay for something, we're paying out of the, the RAD splash fund. So when we got married, we joined together and we come one in everything that we have. So it was a, it was a very big deal that while, yeah, there's not much in that fund, but one day there will be. But as they, as they cut that covenant, it was, a, it was a gigantic thing to take that name because it was saying that I respect you and I honor you and I'm going to give you my name and I got to do the same back. The sixth step, they would make a scar. The blood's rubbed together and the, and the scar is made from the hand. Represents a witness that a covenant has been made. So when I go into Shan City, I can show my scar. No, I cut covenant with him and this is my scar. There was a man who went into an African um, country, I don't remember what it was, but he was going on a sort of like a missions journey and he went to chiefs around the village and he cut covenant with a number of chiefs so that every time he went 
and he faced problems. He would show his hand filled with scars and, and they would never fight with him because they knew that if they fought with him, they had to fight all the tribes that were on his hand. So every time that they would show, I have, I have five scars on my hand. So if you fight me, you have to fight those five other tribes. So the, the scar represented the fact that I have made a covenant and you're not just fighting me. You're fighting whoever else I've made that covenant with. Okay, number seven is that they would give covenant terms, but the terms were in, in most cases the same. Whatever I have is yours. Whatever you have is mine. They would name the term of the covenant. So as they stand there, they've now got scars. They, they would say, Sean, Sean, you have everything that I have. My wealth, my honor, but you also have the, the pains that I carry as well. My feud with, a, with another tribe, my, my, um, my debt that I carry as well. So they would name everything that they have that they're giving and receiving. So both sides would then explain what the term looked like of that covenant. But all the covenants, because of the, because of the, um, the dead animals, all resulted in the same thing. If you don't follow the terms of this covenant, it results in death. <clears throat> they would then, after they've made the terms, they would celebrate and they would go and eat a memorial meal. So the meal would be a feast that they would share together and they would eat and drink, but they would always eat of bread and what was called the blood of the grapes, wine. Because both of those two things represented the body and the blood, which just about every religion understands that there was a, a, a body and a blood. But what that represented was that I am in you, Sean, and now you are in me. It, it, was the, it was the final sign of we are one now. In this covenant, if you get hurt, I'm hurting. If I get hurt, you're hurting. There was a a symbol. It wasn't just a meal. It was a significant symbol that said, I'm going to feed you myself and you me. I didn't realize this, but that's also what, where wedding cake came from, if you didn't know that. The husband was meant to feed the wife. In the olden times, they would feed the wedding cake because it was a symbol of bread. There you go. The final thing that they would now do, because now the covenant is cut, it's sealed, it's signed, they would plant a memorial tree. They would go out, they would take blood of a sacrificed animal. They would plant a tree and they would cover that tree with blood because it symbolized again for the final time that we have made covenant. As the tree grew, you could always go back to that tree and say, this is the tree that I made with Sham. We planted this tree, the covenant of, of who we were. As I began flipping through this thing, it, it, it became more and more apparent to me that, that God is such an incredibly intricate God who understands exactly what he is doing. That as I read through this, I started to weep because I realized, oh my goodness, the thing that Jesus did, it was so purposeful. The thing that he made with us made so much sense. He comes back, he fulfills the covenant that God made with Abraham. He fulfilled that so that we don't have to pay for that anymore. But he then decided, okay, I'm also gonna, I'm also gonna cut covenant with, with my people one more time. So when Jesus washes the feet of the disciples in John, he takes off his clothes. 
and he washes them, his outer garments, he gives them to the disciples. Because he's saying to you, I'm giving you, disciples, all that I am. Everything that I have now, I'm giving to you. He then washes their feet. In Romans 8.33, we, we know the, the famous verse of, if God is for us, who can be against us? The second step, I'm giving you my belt. Any battle that you walk into, son, daughter, I'll come with you. Any battle that you fight, any fear that you have, I'm with you. You see, the beauty of the, of the covenant that we cut with Christ is that he didn't have any enemies that could beat him. We do. But when we cut covenant with Christ, we realize, I'm going to come with you in everything that I am. Son, daughter, here's my sword, my armor, my shield, all the things that you need to protect you. But that's not it. Any battle that you go into, I'll come with you. Because if, if I'm for you, nobody can be against you. So in two simple steps, we see Christ fulfill the first two steps of the blood covenant. He gives us all of who he is. And then he gives us his weapons and, who he, and, and his, his defense so that we can never lose a battle. The raising of the arm and the mixing of the blood. You know, I had a conversation with somebody one time and they said to me that baptism, that, that the only significance of baptism is a, is a public expression of our faith. And while it is that, that's not the only reason that we get baptized. The very reason that we are baptized is because it's the mixing of the blood. It's the, it's the fourth step in a cutting of a blood covenant that as we go under in the Spirit and we die with Christ, we mix and we raise again and we come out whole as who He is. It blows me away that 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 God made this so intricate that even the disciples didn't understand what Christ was doing. That he was actually making a covenant with them to say, to say, my sons and my daughters, I'm going to give you everything. That as, as we come out of that water, as we, as we come out of that baptism, we take on his nature. Because we are now, that nature that we had, that old nature, dies in that covenant and comes alive. That who we were, the iniquities that we carried, the, the pain and the sorrow and the, the, the debts that we owed, all die as we go under that water. And when we come out, there's a spiritual renewing because now our blood is mixed with the blood of Christ. There's a, a, a mixing there and a becoming of one. Is this okay? Is everyone, are you, are you getting it? Yeah. Go with me to Luke 10, verse 17. Luke 10, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Even the demons, that they were so impressed that those demons that they had obviously seen before, that had obviously tormented before, and they went back, God, 
Even your name will get away the, the, the last thing, the last enemy that we don't understand how to beat. Your name will do that. You see, when Jesus, when we become Christians, Jesus gives us the authority to operate in his name, to use his name to break the walls that cannot be broken. He gives us his name. Step four, as they stand and hold their hands in the, in the blood covenant and they exchange names. Isn't it fascinating that Christ says, in my name, you can use my name. And in that, everything will bow. No other name can have. That we take the name of Christ and he allows us to use that name. But not only that, he takes your name and he writes it in the book. So in that place of that covenant being cut, we exchange our names. Yes, we got the better deal, huh? We got the most incredible deal out of that name exchange. That he loved us so much that he said, son, take my name and use it however you see. And that those 72 disciples come back and say, Jesus, even your name will beat what we couldn't beat before. The final step that we see in the, in the covenant, in the blood covenant, was the planting of a tree. You would plant a tree, and that tree reminded you of the covenant that was cut. Jesus planted the most memorial tree that humanity has ever seen. And he didn't take the animal of a blood and sprinkle it on it. He hung himself on that cross. And that tree was planted at a place that will never, ever be forgotten, regardless of how much people try to forget it. That every time we see that cross, that tree that was planted, it reminds you of the covenant that, was, that Christ cut. Isn't it fascinating that the Jewish culture, the final step was to do something that would never be forgotten, that would exemplify everything of what that covenant stood to represent. It always baffled me. Why would they hang Christ on a cross? Why was that such an important thing? Because Christ understood the fact that I want to seal this covenant with you. And I want no one to forget it ever. The significance of that tree being planted on that mountain will, will forever rattle through the ages, whether people want it to or not. Because that covenant can never be forgotten. And you know, the most fascinating thing about that is that we get the opportunity now to step into that covenant. There's a story in... One moment while I find it. In Samuel, 1 Samuel 18, 1 to 4 where David and, and Jonathan, they cut covenant. And Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. <laughs> I had a few stabs at it. Mephibosheth. David goes through and wipes out Saul's family. 
but he doesn't wipe out Mephibosheth because he was the son of Jonathan of who he made a covenant with. So he goes back to him and he says, Mephibosheth, let's just call him M from here on in. He goes back to him and he says, because I cut father with cut covenant with your father, I will give you your lands back. He then asks him the final question. He says, you get to decide now whether you stay in covenant with me or you exit because it was he was the next generation. The covenant runs from generation to generation to generation. However, when we become of age, we decide whether we stay in that covenant or not. Christ cut covenant with us, but allows us to stand outside of it if we so choose. So when we become of an age, we get to decide, do I want to stay with you, Jesus, or do I want to leave with you? I just find it so fascinating that every little step of the covenant that he cuts with us makes so much sense. But then at the very end, he says to us, but it's your choice. I will never, ever make you do it. But I tell you what, if you do, I have something for you that you can't get anywhere else. I have something for you that will never, ever be the same. And I'll prove it to you. Because then he shows the scars that he carried when he meets one of the disciples. And he says, I can't believe it's you without seeing the scars. He says, look at the scars. That Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, still bearing the scars that he took on that cross so that he can show and say, no, no, I cut covenant with my with my family. That he would then give us the Holy Spirit and say to us, this is how you know that I've cut covenant with you. Have my spirit. That he carries the scars from that cross to exemplify the fact that, that I love these people and I did this thing for them. And he gives us a spirit that we can flow in that gives us wisdom and, and comfort and health and says to us, this is the proof that I love you and that I've cut covenant with you and you can never let it go. You see, when we start to understand the fact that it's a covenant that we enter into with Christ, it makes it real hard for you to lose your salvation. Because all of a sudden you have made a decision with Christ by blood that binds you. See, when the prodigal son ran from home, he never ceased being a son. But when he came home, he was given everything that he had. But when we cut covenant with Christ, when we truly, truly cut covenant with Christ, he has so much for us. That when we understand the reality of the, the decision that you've made, the power that you carry, that every battle you go into is not just you that's fighting but Christ fights with you. When we begin to understand the fact that we carry his name because we cut covenant with him, everything changes because no mountain then becomes too high. Those songs that we sing, we start to go, oh my goodness, I've seen this thing. I've seen the name of my father. I've seen the name of Jesus change this place. I've seen his spirit comfort me in a place that was so painful. 
And it reminds me of what Christ did for me that day. The covenant that I've now signed with him. Go with me to Paul, uh, to Colossians sorry, 1, verse 15. I love how Paul writes about Christ in this verse. Because he understands, he understands the person that he's decided to walk with. He understands the, the, the preeminence of Christ. He understands who he is, the holiness of, of who he is. And he understands the power that he's given. Colossians 1 verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, become a minister. You see, he understands who Christ was, the power of the person that he walked through. He walked with, sorry. I'm going to show a video in a second, and then I'm going to pray and we're going to worship for a little bit. But I just want you to do, the reason I want to show this video is that I've explained the importance of the covenant that we cut. I hope I've explained that. I was trying, that's what I was trying to explain. But I want you to understand who that person is that you cut covenant with. That we've been talking about Jesus, who he is. He's the son of man, the last Adam, the savior, all these different things that, that Christ came as. And now we have a position to, to live in a covenant with him where we get to take on the power and the authority that he had. He allows us to stand in that. So I want to show you this video and then we're just going to pray. And, and when we go back into worship, I just want us to spend a moment. I know that's nearly 11 o'clock, but I just want us to spend a moment just focusing on Christ. If you don't know who he is and, and you want to find out, come and chat with me or he's standing up the front. Or chat with the person next to you. But let's just spend a moment just focusing on Christ and understanding who he is. And play that video again. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? 
My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him, for yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You see, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's who we cut covenant with. That's whose name you get to take. That's whose life we get to be a part of. You see, the most incredible thing is when we start to understand who Christ is, we start to understand who we are in this place. We get to understand the power that we carry. And we can never forget who we are in Him. So Father, I thank You so much that You would send Your Son Christ, I thank you that you would come and do what no one else would do. That you love us so much. That as nobody, you would make us somebody.
that you would take everything that we had, our inequities, our pains, our sorrows, our debts, and you would give us everything. Christ, that you call us into a life that is greater than one we could ever imagine. That you continually pour out on us love after love. We dishonor you, Father. We honor you, Jesus. We just praise your name. We just thank you. We are so grateful that you chose us to cut covenant with. Thank you, Father. You're more ground I'm standing on You're more real the wind in my lungs Your thoughts define me You're inside me Young 